Welcome back to Midwretched, everyone. Hello, friends. How are you out there? Uh, I hope you're lovely. We're lovely. Yes, I'm Tommy. I'm Mick. What up? Welcome what up? back. Welcome back. Happy. Oh, wait, no. When is this coming out in response to, like, voting and everything? We hope you voted. Yeah, this will come out after Election Day. We hope that you voted. We hope We that hope you voted your... for non-evil people. Yes, we hope that your dreams have come true. We hope that if you're a Michigan voter, especially you voted because your elections are really, 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 really important. Mm-hmm. And, and Ohio, really, really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they're important everywhere, but man, like in these little states that have become swing states, Michigan in my entire lifetime has never been a swing state. The entire time I lived in Michigan, grew up there, never a swing state, now suddenly a swing state. So... Elections are very, very important in the mitten. Oh. Ohio has always been the purple heart of America. The little purple coat pocket. Little purple coat pocket. It's so cute. Illinois is normally solidly blue, mm. but I don't know. I just don't trust anything anymore. Yeah, Indiana describes itself as blood red, so no more soapboxing from us. Um, the other really big thing is that we have an arrest in the Delphi case. Fuck yeah. So, you know, this is not a, the subject of this episode, but we can't not mention it, obviously. I wonder when we're going to do a Delphi episode, because honestly, I've listened to a lot of them, and I still no- think that you know more about Delphi than <laughs> every, except for maybe the people that did Down the Hill. Oh, nobody knows more than Down the Hill. They're amazing. But yeah, I mean, I just want to feel like... Like we've got more to offer than other stories, not in a competitive way, but just in a like, make it worth our while and our listeners while too, you know, but I also like it's one of those things I hesitate to do until we know more about, especially mm-hmm. with this arrest. I, I think if it had gone on for another year unsolved, I would have wanted to do an episode and then like a, hopefully an update later, but mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, this arrest comes down, and it's somebody that has not been on anybody's shortlist, including law enforcement's, until extremely recently. And all of a sudden, this entire thing has gone a direction that nobody, again, including law enforcement, saw coming. Yeah, and I think there's always been so much speculation and so much... Maybe it's because I followed this case closer than other ones, but so much rumor and kind of rumor that does harm yes going around in this one yes definitely that every suspect that they've had along the way has just i don't know it's it's gone badly it has it has and i also feel like there's so much um so many assumptions made about like small towns and how they operate and Mm-hmm. You know, a lot like this guy, uh, Richard Allen, was arrested, and all of a sudden you've got people coming out to say, like, how could they have not known? How could his wife have not known? This is a small town. Didn't anybody notice when the guy that works at CVS started acting weird? And it's like, like I went off on somebody in a, <laughs> <laughs> in a forum because I live in a town that is exactly like Delphi. It is like the clone of Delphi. Yep. That looks the same, same population, like demographics, everything is the same. And of course, the pharmacy in town also is CVS. My pharmacist went on a maternity leave. I would not know her from anybody else if we were both walking our babies around the park, right? 
how would I notice or care? It's still a town of 2,500 people, but how would I notice or care, right? If, yeah. So it's and like. And you go to the pharmacy more than most people. Exactly. So I just hate that mentality where it's like, oh, they should have known, or how come nobody noticed? And it's a small town. It's just a, it's a lot of stereotypes that, you know. Well, also, so much of that, like, oh, this person was acting so weird comes after yes. the fact. Mm-hmm. Like, there's people around my neighborhood fucking constantly that act weird and i don't think anything of it other than the fact that they're weird no i think there's yeah go ahead i was gonna say probably people think that you act weird sometimes and i act weird sometimes and for sure have you seen me parallel park like every day i park my car in front of my house and i'm sure i i look like a crazy person because i can't i can't park my car just it's so easy oh my gosh well (laughs) i i drive a tank so give me a break but no, I think that, I don't know, I'm I'm done. I've lost my point. I'm going to drink my beer now. Yeah, I just, at the end of the day, I think that anytime some there's somebody apprehended in a high-profile case, there's like three phases of public reaction. The first mm-hmm. being like, oh, what a shock. I never saw that coming. And the second being, you know, I thought he was kind of weird. And the third mm-hmm. being, oh, I knew there was something wrong with that guy. Right. Like that's yep. the process every single time from the same people. So all that to say there's an arrest in Delphi. Um, records are currently uh, sealed. We are. Well, I'm not going to say we are hoping because you and I got into a fight about this over text. Um, right now, everything is sealed. Um, probable cause affidavit is still sealed to this moment. Uh, there is a petition to. um well, there's a couple petitions. There's a, a, a people's petition to keep those records sealed by the family. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. uh, there are motions to decide whether or not they stay sealed. And that uh, hearing is on, I believe, the 23rd of November. So after the 22nd or 23rd, it's that couple of days, we'll know whether or not those records are going to stay sealed or not. And that'll tell us, I think, a lot. It'll tell us a lot. Silence will tell us a lot or whatever's in those documents will tell us a lot. Either way, it's going to be a learning experience. Yay. Yay. So that's not our case today, though. It will be someday. <laughs> so what what are we going to talk about today? Today we're talking about the disappearance of Timothy Pitson. All right. Yeah, we are going to be in your backyard, my friend. Like, very, very much my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know a bit about this case. This case happened since I've lived in Illinois. Yes, yes. But I haven't done a deep dive into it, so I'm excited to hear your deep dive. Welcome to your deep dive. Okay, here we go. I'm going to start us off with a letter. I like to start with the letters, as you know. I know you do. Mm-hmm. Um, You're so good at this. I'm very epistolary. I love it. So I'm going to start <laughs> off with a letter, and this is from Timothy Pitson's cousin, Phoebe. Dear Tim, I remember the last time I came to visit you. It was a normal spring break visit for my sister and I. My Aunt Amy, your mom, was insistent on doing something together. We were going to go to Six Flags, but it was raining, so we went to Key Lime Cove, what is now Great Wolf Lodge. I remember later being at your house and eating hot dogs that Aunt Amy kindly cut up for me. I remember you playing with your toys and talking about Spider-Man with me. You were young, so you called me cousin. I remember going to a park with a rocket ship playground. The last thing I remember is my Aunt Amy wanting me to go play with you because I wouldn't see you for a while. It seemed like something normal she would say then, as I lived states away and only visited over school breaks, but I never realized how true it would become. One thing that was always evident to me 
even when I was young, was how much your mom loved you. She was always so kind and gentle with you. No matter what your situation is or where you are, I hope you know that. I would be lying to say that I wasn't incredibly angry at her choice to do what she did. However, sometimes people just want the pain to go away, not really realizing the full ramifications of their actions. So many people love you and your mom. I'm sad that she can't see you grow up or that we can't either. Although I have faith that you will turn out as warm and kind as your mom. Wherever you are, I hope you are happy, safe, and healthy. With love and hope, your cousin Phoebe. Um, I should do a content warning real quick here that this episode is going to include um, some discussion uh, about suicide. So uh, we'll do another kind of warning right before I start talking about that. But uh, please do take care of yourself if that is a subject that's going to be difficult for you. Okay. Okay. So Timothy Pitson was born on October 18th, 2004 in Aurora, Illinois. I biked there today. You did? It is so close to you. That's crazy. My back hurts. Mm. So, you know, I wanted to start with his date of birth because I wanted to really highlight the fact that um, it was only six years later that would be the last time he was ever seen. Wow. So I want to talk about Aurora for a second here and just kind of provide some background on the, the place and the family. So Aurora is a sprawling suburb of Chicago. It is big. It's huge, like, yeah. Space-wise, mm-hmm. it is big. Aurora takes up a lot of space. It spans over, um, it, well, it is into two counties. Um, it's actually the second most populous city in Illinois. Did you know that? The Chicago is it bigger than Naperville? It is. Oh, it is, okay. Yep. I didn't know that it was bigger than Naperville, it like is. population wise. It is. Yep. So, like any large suburb, lifestyles range from poverty to middle class families, which certainly make up the bulk of the population, with sprinkles of wealth here and there, like any other Chicago suburb. So Jim Pitson and Amy Fry Pitson's household was pretty typical Auroran, at least by all outside <laughs> accounts. So uh, Jim was educated, but extremely humble. He, um, gosh, he's so lovely. I just, <laughs> everything that I read or listened to from Jim Pitson was um, just really touching for me. He was a pretty accomplished guy, but preferred to kind of keep to himself, his family, um, and his modest hobbies, like fixing up his Jeep and things like that. Uh, His wife, Amy, was definitely more outgoing and bubbly of the two. She really liked uh, parties and socializing and um, just kind of being like out and about and being seen. Those were things that she really enjoyed. Although even with that going on in her life, her best friend was still her sister, Kara. Mm -hmm. The couple actually met at a party in 2002 in Ames, Iowa, which was uh, not far from where Amy had grown up. Uh, Jim was out there working a temporary job, and he had actually kind of ended up at that party. I assume that he, like, knew somebody that knew somebody and got kind of, like, you know, (laughs) sort of sideways invited or dragged along or whatever. But it was actually Amy's going away party. She had just graduated from Iowa State, um, and that was her going away party um, because she was getting ready to move to Illinois. So the two hit it off. He asked her out the next day, and the rest was pretty much history from there. Was Jim originally from Illinois? or Uh, He was from Iowa, but he had worked in Illinois and then took a temporary job in Iowa, back and forth, back and forth a little bit, yeah. But they're from that, like, edge of Iowa that's just across the state line. Yeah. So it would be the first, you know, counties in Iowa after you kind of cross over from Illinois. So not, like... Far away, it's not Iowa. like a crazy move. Mm-mm, yeah, no, no. 
You're gonna have a lot of sniffles to edit. I'm sorry. It's fine. I'm so gross. It's fine. I got a fancy new microphone and a horrible cold at the same time. So, so we're gonna try to make it work. Yeah, just make it work. Do the best you can. So, um, thanks. <laughs> I'm gonna come back and talk more about their marriage a little bit later because there are factors from their relationship that are really important. Um, I think in kind of building up what happened here that we will spend some some serious time talking about later. But um, just kind of in those first couple of years. So Jim thought that he was sterile, actually, because he had a short bout with cancer when he was about 20 years old. And oh, wow. yeah, and he'd gone through chemotherapy. And uh, he was told or he thought as a result of his chemo that he would not be able to have children. So when Amy got pregnant, it was a big, exciting surprise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't married yet, but they were pretty much planning to anyway. So they got married um, when Amy was four months pregnant and kind of started their life as a family together. So like I said, Timothy was born in October of 2004. Uh, Timothy was spelled with two M's because Amy had wanted to honor a stillborn brother that she had named Timothy but didn't like, uh, okay. yeah, but she didn't like how like ordinary the name was. So she added the second M to make it more unique. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, do you? So Timothy grew up into like a really fun little boy. And when you hear Jim describe him, like I'm going to read a couple of quotes in a minute, I think it'll really help kind of get a sense of not just Tim, but his relationship uh, with his dad and how much his dad just adored him. Mm-hmm. Jim was really excited to be a boy dad. <laughs> Jim is definitely like kind of a classic kind of man's man kind of guy from Midwestern what I gathered. dad. Yeah, cars, beer, good stuff. Football, yes. you know, yes. I assume football. And having a little boy to like buy, you know, Matchbox cars for and stuff like that just seemed to really mean a lot to him. Mm-hmm. So this is Jim talking to Chicago Magazine. He says, he was super smart, high energy, funny. He ran with a little waddle like a chubby old man. (laughs) I had a go-kart in the back shed. And when Tim was about three, I made the gas pedal so you couldn't push it all the way down. He was out in the backyard just buzzing donuts. So, (laughs) I mean, this kid was like active. (laughs) And it seems like his dad, Jim, just kind of loved it, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, he loved as any little boy that age is going to he loved zoos and like water parks or um you know amusement parks and adrenaline like he seems like kind of an adrenaline junkie of a little boy yeah (laughs) seems like dad was just waiting to get him out on his first four-wheeler i think so yeah like the (laughs) go-kart thing was like okay jim all right this was let's do this and really poignantly um when you see pictures of Timothy, he is basically like his dad just pressed copy paste. Like he is mm-hmm. a clone. Um, so much. And the age progressed photos really just make that stand out like crazy. So I'm going to talk about this little span of a few days in May of 2011. So on the morning of Wednesday, May 11th, 2011, Jim dropped off Timothy at Greenman Elementary where he was a kindergartner. He said, uh, I love you, buddy. Have a good day. And Tim said, I love you. See you later. And Jim had no idea that he would never see his son again. By 8.15, Amy had come to the school and checked Timothy out, telling the office and his teachers that there was a family emergency. 
at 10 ish the two then went to a local auto repair shop for um, some repairs that Amy wanted done on her 2004 Ford Expedition. So it's like a mid-sized SUV. She had a blue Ford Expedition. So, you know, she picked up Tim at 8.15, 8.10 to 8.15 is when she entered the school um, and left a little while later. And then she got to the car repair shop with Timothy at about 10 o'clock. What happened uh, in between that, like, say, hour and a half is not totally known. Um, But one source I found said that Amy had uh, not packed anything for this trip that they were about to take, that she was about to take Timothy on. So I'm thinking that perhaps she went shopping in that span of time Mm -hmm. for clothes and toys. We know that she bought clothes and toys for Timothy for this specific day. So I think that Mm -hmm. my guess is that that's just when she did that. At 1030, Jim actually went to the school to pick Tim up. It's one of those like short half day. Half day kindergarten. Kindergartens. My little girl's schedule is exactly the same. When I get to pick up line at 1015, I'm like, good Lord. Like I just dropped you off. (laughs) But so at 1030, Jim went back to the school to pick him up and he got there and he goes into the office because Timothy is not outside. Mm Mm-hmm. And he says, where's Timothy? And they said, he was picked up earlier. And he said, can I see who checked him out? And they pulled out the the sign-out book, and it was Amy's mm-hmm. signature. And he had had no idea. Were they married? You may talk about this later. Were they married at this time? They were married, actually. So uh, there was okay. another source I saw. Um, it wasn't the most sturdy source, but I had one source that stated that Jim dropped Timothy off at school and then dropped Amy off at work. I only saw that in one place, so I don't really trust that information necessarily. We know that she skipped out on work that day one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. I was only asking because I was like, I can't remember if they had been separated or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Okay. Yeah, I will talk about their marriage later, but they had never been separated. There were issues, but they had never actually been separated, no. Okay. I think I mentioned this before. I get this often confused with another case. So, Oh, which one? The Skelton Boys. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, God, don't get me started. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to do that one at some point, yeah? I have very strong feelings about the Skelton Boys, so, yeah, I'll just go ahead and do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I know that case. I think that you... Like I said, you are so good at these weird family dynamic cases. It's my wheelhouse. Weird family dynamics and me, <laughs> totally my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and, you know, we talked last week about how I'm like the woo-woo friend. And I had a dream about the Skelton Boys after they went missing that up. I still think about. Yeah. So anyway, we'll talk about my dream when we cover the Skelton Boys at some Point in the future. So um, I'm going to go back to the the car repair shop. Yeah. Amy and Timothy are at the auto repair shop, and it turned out that there were quite a few kind of small repairs needed on the expedition. Nothing major, but I took it to mean like an oil change, a transmission flush, like, you know, like a decent amount of just tune-up type of stuff. Um, All those things that you probably put off because they're not really impacting the functioning of the car. Yeah, but then when you're planning a road trip, you're like, oh, I should do that, right? Um, and that's what Amy's planning. So mm-hmm. 
Uh, the mechanic or somebody that worked at the shop was actually kind enough to drive Amy and Timothy to one of Timothy's favorite places, which was Brookfield Zoo, which is also one of my favorite places. Also one of mine. They have red pandas. Oh, yeah, they do. So uh, I'm going to kind of, I want to build a map of everywhere that, that they go. So Greenman Elementary is in Aurora. The auto shop is in LaGrange. So Aurora, very much on that like western edge of Chicago suburbs. LaGrange would be another like 45 minutes towards the city. And then Brookfield Zoo is like right next door to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brookfield and LaGrange are right next door to each other. Mm-hmm. Aurora is considered a far west suburb. Yeah, kind of an exurb. Yeah, much more of an exurb. There's a lot more of farmland and all of that. So Yeah. And then once you're past Aurora, you're just in the country at that point. You're, yes, you're very much in the Pretty country. much until you get to Iowa. But this map is going to end up, to me, it feels very, very important. So I will kind of refer back to these places and... And distances and times traveled and things like that kind of periodically as we go. But do we have a map to put up on the socials? Oh, yeah. I have a map I'm looking okay. at right now. Killer. Yeah. So they stayed at the zoo until about three o'clock. I assume that somebody called Amy to say, hey, your car's ready. And they got back to the uh, auto repair shop in LaGrange. And that was where Timothy's last adventure began. And I, I tried to kind of find different ways to say that, but... It was at least his last adventure as Timothy Pitson, that's for sure. So Amy drove him up to Key Lime Cove Resort in Gurney, Illinois, uh, which is now a Great Wolf Lodge. That was what the cousin was talking about in her letter as well. So Gurney is another um, about an hour to an hour and a half north of where they were in LaGrange. So they were heading north towards Wisconsin. They stayed the night at that resort. I assume they just did like the water park fun stuff that you would do. And the next day, which was a Thursday, they checked out and continued north. So uh, their destination north was the Kalahari Resort in Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin, which we both know quite well. I was going to say a very popular destination for Chicagoans and suburbanites. Yes, yes. Um, Just a very popular resort town. It's a resort town. It's it's like a ton of resorts and water parks and it's super kitschy. It's Um, kitsch. It's a kid's dream land. It is. Honestly. Like water parks and slides and candy stores and everything. Oh, ice cream shops and... Fudge and shops. trails to hike. Yeah. yeah. We did a little vacation there with some friends last year, and it was just a blast. I mean, we all had fun, but it was so great for the kids. Like, mm-hmm. it was so fun. And it's it's a perfect it's a perfect place to take kids that age, I would say, too. Just oh, yeah. having yeah. taken There's- kids that age there, it's so perfect. <laughs> There's arcades and everything. Like I said, it is a kid's dream land. So I imagine Timothy is like... Having a blast. Having a blast. Just having a ball. Living his life. And these resorts, these water parks are crazy. I mean, they're huge, these expansive resorts. Um, The Kalahari Mm -hmm. Resort is huge. It would have been a a blast for a kid like Timothy. So Mm -hmm. Wisconsin Dells would have taken about another two and a half hours from Gurney. So we're kind of just building up that. This is kind of like it's a mini road trip, north, north, north. Um, Assuming that they just had their fun there and they had their day. The next morning, surveillance footage recorded them checking out at 10 a.m. And this is the last time that Timothy was ever seen. 
was that surveillance footage. Checking out? Checking out of Kalahari at 10 o'clock in the okay. morning on Friday morning. All right. So you might be wondering, uh, poor Jim, right? So dad's at home, and he's flipping out. So he's calling and calling Amy's cell phone. She's not answering her phone. He called Kara, who's her sister, like I said, um, who said that she was sure it was fine. And Amy had kind of a history of skipping town once in a while to clear her head. Though this was the first time she'd ever taken Timothy with her, it was not on its face, like unusual behavior for her individually, Mm -hmm. um, that she would often just blow off steam for a couple of days and then come home. Um, So Jim called the police um, that Wednesday night that Timothy had gone missing. And they said, well, let's just give it another 24 hours. I think knowing a little bit of Amy's history and then knowing that's a mother and a son, like, yeah, you know, police aren't immediately going to investigate that. Exactly. So that Friday, so like I said, they checked out of Kalahari at 10 o'clock and Jim is at home freaking out. That Friday morning, um, after they had checked out, well, I guess it was early afternoon, 1230, Amy finally reached out to somebody. She called her mom. She called her mom and said basically exactly what Kara told Jim she would say. She's out to clear her head. She's fine. She'll be home soon. Um, Amy's mom could hear Timothy in the background, so we knew that he was there at the time that this call was made. After she got off the phone, she actually called Jim's brother, so her brother-in-law. Okay. And Chuck, the brother, was like, why are you calling me and not my brother? Yeah, Yeah, your husband, the father of your child. Um, And he's, you know, he's saying basically, like, you know, he has a right to know where you are and where Tim is. Mm -hmm. And Amy told Chuck, Tim is my son and I can do what I want. Mm. but she did put Chuck on the phone with Tim and he sounded fine. Um, Either it's not clear who, but one of them heard Tim in the background saying like, I'm hungry and just like normal kid stuff in the background. (laughs) I would not think a single, I would not have a single second thought Mm -mm. if I heard a kid yelling in the background. I'm like, no, (laughs) most of the, unless there was like other reason for distress. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So nothing, nothing weird. And again, like this is in, it's in character for Amy to go off. So it was clear to Chuck one way or the other that Amy was not going to call Jim. Um, I'm guessing that they, Chuck and Amy's mom both assumed that they were in a fight or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But he called Jim and relayed that message Hearing that, Jim's blood was boiling. Yeah. Right? So what's interesting about these calls is a couple of things. It took her about an hour and a half to make those calls um, between her mom and Chuck and staying on the phone with them both for a while. So she probably was done with those phone calls at about 2 o'clock. Do you know where she was when she made them? Was she still in Wisconsin? That's exactly what I'm saying next, actually. Damn it. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. So she was vague on where she was exactly, but cell phone records would show that she was in the vicinity of Sterling, Illinois. What the hell is Sterling, might you ask? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know you so well that all of your thoughts are in my notes because I literally Uh. wrote down. 
what is sterling do you ask the fuck is sterling uh-huh huh you are n- little miss you are not headed back to aurora Mm-mm. and that's the other important thing to note so when we look at our map she has been heading you know she heads up to gurney she heads up to get to wisconsin dells you kind of have to go like you'd be going straight north into milwaukee and then you would cut west on 94 and then you would get back mm-hmm. north on the 9039 and that's going to take you to wisconsin dells i made that exact road trip i have as well so and we made that road trip together at one point kind of that area sure. so then you would be going back south and this time you could take a, a straighter shot south if you were heading to Sterling, which is mm-hmm. back into Illinois, but farther, much farther west, closer to Iowa. You have to go the exact wrong way mm-hmm. when you get to 88. It's it's as though she missed her exit, right? Like you would get from the 90, you'd be going south, uh, and you would get to that 88 interchange, and one direction would lead her straight into her own backyard, mm-hmm. basically. Exactly. And the other direction is to, to go to Sterling, and she went to Sterling. Yeah, she went the exact wrong way. Yeah. It's uncanny. Like, you could draw a straight line, basically, from her house to Sterling, and it was like she just made the wrong turn. But obviously, it was not an accident that she went to Sterling. So I'm going to save my thoughts until later. Mm. I wonder what your thoughts are. Because, yeah, this just gets really, it gets really interesting. So... I know where this goes, so that's why I'm going to save my thoughts. Okay. So Sterling is a, like I said, it's a, it's a small town, directly west of Aurora, close to Iowa. Um, it's actually not that far from where Jim uh, had grown up in Clinton, Iowa. And he actually moved back to Clinton after all of this happened, just to kind of get back to his own family of origin, basically. Mm-hmm. But the big question is, what drew Amy to Sterling? There's really nothing going on there. Mm-mm. You cannot in any way, shape, or form construe it to be on your way home. It's literally the definition of out of your way. Mm-hmm. There were not any attractions there like the ones you'd taken Tim to. There wasn't like, it's not another like resort town where you're going to find an amusement park or whatever. There were no known family or associates living in Sterling. It was random. However, it wasn't her first time. So uh, when they got her iPass later. iPass is a transponder you put in your car that um, takes tolls when you're on the toll roads. Um, So iPass records would show that in the few months before this this week in May, she had taken two unexplained trips to Sterling. Interesting. Mm -hmm. She had never mentioned Sterling to anybody else in her circle. Prior to that, nobody had ever known her to go there. Um... But that's where she was when she was making these calls. Yeah. If anybody doesn't have iPass or doesn't have toll roads, they are a pretty direct map of where you have gone and mm-hmm. where you've driven with your iPass. So Yeah, it's 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 as good as having, well, it's better even than having cell phone records because every time, especially like in Illinois, boy, they take your tolls like <laughs> every like five miles, it feels like. So you're going down the highway and you just travel under this big thing that's that's just taking the data from your car so they can charge you. Um, so it's constant. My thought on that is it's interesting. She couldn't have been trying very hard to hide that because literally all you would have to do is to take off or cover your iPass if you really wanted to hide your travels. You know, yes, but I also 
could see that just like not really occurring to somebody. I, I think if you were knowingly trying to hide something. Mm-hmm. Then you wouldn't use it. Yeah. Then you wouldn't use it. Yeah. So that's, I don't know, I'm curious kind of where her mind was mm. then. Yeah, I I guess I'm a little bit more flexible with that just because like, like I know with mine, um, I've never even thought twice about it. Like, and obviously I'm not up to anything shady, but I guess I've just like never thought about it tracking my whereabouts in that way, you know? I I think about it a lot. Well, I just think about it as like, this is the thing that takes money out of my account so that I can use the toll road, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair, it's a fair point though. Yeah. I could just, I could definitely see it not being that for her, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, if you're trying to do something sneaky, mm-hmm. I think you might be a little bit more mindful if you were really planning that far ahead. Yes, yes. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, like I said before, she made those phone calls at about for about an hour and a half. So we can say that after about two, she was done with her phone calls. And then she falls off the map for several hours. She resurfaces again via surveillance footage um, at about 525 that evening at a family dollar in Winnebago, Illinois. So kind of back to our map, uh, if you are in Sterling... To get to Winnebago, that's a suburb of Rockford. Hmm. So you're kind of heading back north, almost in like a little circle. This is such a weird route. It's very odd. It's very odd. So she's driving back toward Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. So you're headed back north again after going all that way south. Yeah, Hmm. it's, it's very strange. It's very strange. Um, at that family dollar, she purchased a pen and paper and envelopes. And then she was seen at a grocery store at 8 p.m. on more surveillance. In both of those instances, she was unaccompanied. So Timothy was not there. Hmm. She then travels to Rockford, Illinois, which is, again, just a little bit more north, very much close to the Wisconsin border again. And further back uh, west again. Mm-hmm. She checks into the Rockford Inn at 11.15 p.m. This is uh, where I'll issue another warning that for the next few minutes here, I'm going to be talking about suicide. So on Saturday evening, May 14th, the police arrive at Jim's store with alarming news that Amy's body had been found at a hotel in Rockford. She had slit her wrists and her own throat and had also ingested a lethal amount of antihistamines. Wow. Yeah. She had been discovered at about noon that morning by a hotel maid. So uh, she had actually, like, locked the door with the chain lock. But Mm -hmm. the maid was able to, like, open it enough to see what had gone on in there uh, and went to get help. Wow. Yeah. There were three notes left. Well, a note and two letters, I should say. So she left a short note apologizing to the motel staff for what they were going to find that day. She also left two longer letters, uh, very similar letters, one to her mom and one to a friend. Both letters would say that Timothy was okay, but, quote, you will never find him, and that he was safe and with people who would take care of him. Also in the room was a bottle of children's triaminic, more than half empty, um, and that was pretty much it as far as what was in the room. 
There were no clothing, no changes of clothing for either her or Timothy. Uh, Her phone was missing. Timothy's Spider-Man backpack that he had been seen with in all the other surveillance footage was not there. Any sign of Tim ever having been in that room was not there. There were no toys. The room was pretty clean. Um, It did not even look particularly like lived in for that evening. Nothing extraneous in that hotel room at all. Hmm. Your thoughts so far? I was thinking about the triaminic. Mm-hmm. Because half a bottle, those kids' doses are not very strong. They are, yes, yes. Like, they're they're strong for a kid. Mm-hmm. They're strong, and like half a bottle would be enough to knock a kid out. Mm-hmm. But not enough to cause an overdose or anything like that. Yeah. Also thinking that I, I once had a conversation with an EMT who told me that antihistamine overdose is absolutely fucking awful. I, I don't doubt it, honestly. Um, I will say that the other thing found in the room was the knife that she had used on herself. The knife was tested later, um, and only her blood was on it. So no sign of Timothy's blood on that knife at all. This is where we're going to backtrack for a second, and I want to talk about who was Amy Fry Pitson. At the time of her death, she was 43. Amy's marriage to Jim Pitson was her fourth marriage. She had been married three previous times. Uh, In that first marriage, she actually uh, converted to Mormonism. Because she felt like that would be um, kind of a key to her happiness. She had a long history of depression and suicidal ideation. So a long history of of mental illness. She, her sister said in an interview with Chicago Magazine that they had gone through something awful in their childhood um, and that both sisters and the brother had experienced it, but she did not want to talk about what that was. Okay. So take that as you will. Um, Yeah. But that there was some kind of childhood trauma. Prior to um, her completion of suicide, she had two previous attempts. The first time, she had parked her car on some train tracks and waited there, and then at the very last second changed her mind. After that, she did check herself into an inpatient facility and was there for about a week. Mm-hmm. The second attempt actually occurred not long after she and Jim started dating. She was driving home for a job interview and had just gotten like really overwhelmed and just feeling like, I'm not going to get this job. She's panicking. She's feeling hopeless. She's worried about their money situation. And she pulled onto the side of the road and just sat at a steep embankment, kind of ready to drive off of it. Um, oh, wow. And then she'd actually taken some sleeping pills and had tumbled down the embankment, I believe on foot, actually. Like she had gotten out okay. of the car oh and fallen down the embankment about 30 feet. And she fractured a vertebra and was found um, by a passerby. Wow. Mm-hmm. But... Amy was, she was an interesting person. She, you know, she had just started dating Jim and uh, Jim called and, uh, or she finally called Jim and she's like, oh, I'm all better now. I'm back on my meds. I've seen some doctors. Like, it's fine. It's really fine. And that um, was kind of what she told her loved ones after the first attempt as well. Like, oh, you know, I've gotten some counseling. I'm fine now. It's all good. So she goes through these really awful lows and these spells and then wants to tell her loved ones like it's fine now i've gotten what i need i'm fine now which i feel like is probably not a totally uncommon way of handling this i'd imagine unfortunately it is yeah 
unfortunately it is very common or uncommon like to kind of go through all of that go to the hospital get out and be like oh no it's okay i'm fine now that is very very common i'd imagine so yeah and it's it's frustrating i think to everybody that cares about the person Mm -hmm. and that sees the pattern and that wants to care for the person and love the person and know that they can't do much more yeah that's what it sounds like. And she was also um, very defensive, according to mm-hmm. Jim and others, about her, specifically about medication. Um, we know for a fact that she was prescribed lorazepam, uh, which is um, Ativan, for anxiety and Wellbutrin and Lexapro for depression. And that she would just get, like, very, very defensive about that. Like, she didn't want to talk about being mm-hmm. on them. She... Um, if you asked her, like if Jim asked her, hey, did you take your meds today? She would like yell at him. And so he just kind of, he described her as having big highs and big lows and that he just kind of started to avoid it, basically. That's tough. Yeah. Man. By the way, there's a more tactful way to ask people if they're taking their meds. Just yeah. Try to be tactful, guys. I understand most of the time it comes from a place of care, but tact. Yeah. <laughs> tact is important. You don't want to put somebody on the offensive right away. Right. Yeah. Or the defensive or any offensive. Any fences. Mm -hmm. Stay off the fences. Yeah. But I'm sure it sounds like Jim actually really did care about her well-being. Yeah. I think he really did. Now, I'm going to talk about their marriage as well. Um, But I just want to kind of like just peeking into Amy's head a little bit with what we know as far as like Amy would take on these kind of like big life changes with the hope mm-hmm. that, like, okay, this will be the thing that makes me happy. This will oh, be the thing that makes oh, me happy, yeah. right? It was the the Mormonism, and then it was the divorce of the first husband, and meeting the second husband, and then this job or that job. So when she got pregnant with Tim, one of the things she told her sister Kara was, I think that this is what I'm meant to do. Finally, I might be okay. Being Tim's mom is going to finally fix me. It's going to make me happy. It's going to make me this person I want to be. <sighs> Yeah. And it sounds like it kind of was that for a time. Mm-hmm. Um, it always but then, is like, for a time. Yeah, exactly. Like any other kind of uh, situation like this where somebody is kind of perpetually like self-medicating with the next big thing, it does start to fade, right? And within their marriage, there were some difficulties. They had a pretty solidly middle-class life, but... Um, they were having a little bit of money troubles in the like a couple of years leading up to the disappearance. She had lost her uh, job because she worked for her dad, and um, it was either her dad either died or retired, and she lost her job as a result. She was very hireable. They're both educated, professional people. Uh, they were not going to be without a job for long, but mm-hmm. it was obviously a stressor. There were also a couple of things that happened fairly immediately preceding the disappearances. One of them was that Jim found text messages between Amy and an ex-husband on her phone mm. that were insinuating that she was that they were going to get together and have sex basically or igniting some kind of affair. When she was confronted about that, um it sounds like they got into a very heated argument and uh Jim had said that due to her history that he knew, like, he's not going to, don't do this again. If you do this one more time, I'm leaving you. Mm-hmm. And you know I'll get Timothy because of your history, mm. basically. So there was that. 
and that obviously did not sit well with Amy. There was also, uh, in the few months before the disappearance, like I think it was two months before, Amy and a couple of friends had gone on a vacation to the Bahamas, and Jim just did not, like, approve of her taking that vacation, basically, like, Mm -hmm. didn't want her to go, pretty much, and she's basically like, fuck you, I'm going. So she went kind of against his wishes, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, their marriage was acrimonious towards the end. It was not, um, it was not happy. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of the background on Amy Fry Pitson. And I'm going to kind of cycle us back to the immediate investigation, the immediate responses. Mm -hmm. So, um, like I said, like those policemen came to Jim's door to break the news of Amy's suicide, and Jim says, where's Timothy? And the police say, we don't know, but this is what was in these letters. At the time, and to this day, the the authorities took the content of those letters pretty seriously. Yeah. And trusted them. They yeah. did believe that Amy gave Timothy to somebody that would take care of him. Mm-hmm. So that kind of immediately injected this investigation with some hope that, um, you know, there was no sign of of Timothy having undergone foul play, right? There was a couple of notable things with the vehicle. There was blood in the vehicle. Uh, police described that blood as a concerning amount of blood. That's a direct quote. Got it. Um, okay. Uh, and the blood was found to be Timothy's. Mm-hmm. However, the family told authorities that Timothy was prone to uh, severe nosebleeds, <laughs> and the authorities took that on its face as well and did not pursue the bloodstains any further than that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I took immediate issue or question mark with this. I was a nosebleed kid. I had severe, awful nosebleeds, mm-hmm. um, like catastrophic nosebleeds. <laughs> And certainly a good amount of blood does come out of your nose, but in no way, shape, or form would that be, if you found that amount of blood, would you think this is a concerning amount of blood? This is a near fatal amount of blood. It would be like, I don't know. I mean, probably the same amount of blood you would lose in like a period. Okay. So a couple tablespoons, which is concerning when it's coming out of your face. Sure, sure. But it's not two pints. It's not a quart, right? It's not massive blood loss. How much is a concerning amount of blood? I think that's my question. Yeah. That is especially when we're talking about a very adventurous six year old. Yes. Yeah. And that's I think that's a very subjective question. Like what one person would be concerned by, somebody else would not be, right? Mm -hmm. So uh what was more alarming to me, though, was that they were just like, oh, oh, okay. Nosebleeds. Oh, he has nosebleeds. Right. Mm-hmm. Who so, was investigating this? What police force? Aurora. Aurora? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the car was also looked at as far as forensic testing of, like, plant sediment and other materials on the car tires. Mm-hmm. The investigation of the car had a few interesting things to say. It did suggest that the car had stopped at some for some amount of time on gravel and that the gravel that it would have stopped on would have been treated with um glass 
like there's a special type of glass that's used to make beads that they mix in with gravel on gravel roads to make them kind of reflective so you can see them better. Oh, like the quartz that they use in Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, that that was found in her tire treads. The vehicle uh, was also had materials on it from what matched up with like meadow or field grass, um, Queen's Anne, Queen Anne's lace, and black mustard plants. And so you would typically find that along the side of a road. It was kind of, that was the conclusion that they drew, that this would have um, been picked up along the side of a road or the shoulder of a road. The area where this stuff was picked up would have been nearly treeless, and that there wouldn't have been, like, trees surrounding where the car had been stopped. Um, there was also some material on the car that indicated um, that there would be some small source of water nearby. But there was no nothing on the car that matched up with anything you would find on, like, a farm or farmland or lawn. So taking all of that together, they basically concluded looking at all the plants, looking at the gravel, uh, all that stuff. They were able to kind of narrow that down that the car had been in either Lee County or Whiteside County in northwestern Illinois, which matches up with the map that we know that she was already on anyway. So basically this just kind of corroborates where we already thought she was or where we, where we knew she was. Okay, I was going to say that feels like it's useful information, but but once you break it down, it really doesn't. Like black mm-hmm. mustard, Queen Anne's lace. Again, I live in like the western suburb area. That stuff is everywhere. We have yeah. gravel roads at certain places out here, and I consider us still relatively close to the city. Yeah. The The thing about the report on the car I found was interesting was the idea that, I don't know how they measure it, like how far up the treads the little gravel is or whatever, mm-hmm. but that the suggestion of the car was there for some time, I think is interesting. Like they had been driving on gravel for some time? That the car, let me look at this exact verbiage. It had stopped, stopped for a period of time okay. on on that gravel. So I would assume that like, okay, your car treads are going to like fill up, I guess, with that stuff the longer you're somewhere. Whereas if you're continually moving, your mm-hmm, car is not going to, mm-hmm. it's not going to absorb that in its treads, right? Okay. Um, so that's how I took that. And so the idea of somebody stopping for an amount of time on a gravelly roadside is compelling yeah okay okay yeah so at that point that's pretty much all they had and they had the letter that said timothy's with somebody that's going to keep him safe so that's what the family believed right that's amy is a, a lot of things but she's not a liar it was kind of the mentality right um All this is going down in middle May. Um, In December, there was a potential sighting of Tim uh, at a Denny's in Aurora that got police pretty excited. Unfortunately, when they followed up on that tip, it was not Timothy. It was just a father and son at Denny's. So nothing unusual there. Mm -hmm. In 2011, somebody picked up Amy's phone. And the phone was picked up. In 2011, by a woman who was like, oh, I could use a phone, and then didn't really think anything of it. And then uh, her brother could use a phone. And she's like, oh, I had this extra phone I found. Here, you take it. Wait, wait, wait. Um, How was Amy's phone found? It's found along the side of road in, get this, Mount Carroll, Illinois. So we have a new location. So, uh, you know, she died in Rockford. 
Mount Carroll is far west of that to the edge of Iowa, basically. It is northwest of Sterling where those phone calls were made. So the police didn't know that her phone still existed anywhere? Mm Mm-mm. They did not know. So this is a completely random new piece of information. Totally random, yeah. So basically this woman is like walking along the side of the road along Illinois Route 78. She finds the phone. She picks it up. She's like, oh, I'll take it. Takes it home, throws it in a drawer. Yeah, like I can get this wiped or whatever at some point Mm -hmm. if I ever need an extra phone. Yeah. So interestingly, then she gives it to her brother. And her brother... Uh, well, it's turned over in 2013. So I okay. assume it's sitting in her drawer for two years. She found it in 2011. Mm-hmm. She gives it to her brother in 2013. The brother boots up the phone, starts going through it, sees all these pitsons in the phone, and being a, a you know local to the area, knows that this name is connected to a prominent case, oh immediately turns the phone over to police. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's so fucking random. Wow. Yeah. So the phone gives us another clue, I think, to Amy's movements. Mm -hmm. So if we kind of take it to be that she left the Dells and she drove straight south and then west to Sterling, Mm -hmm. I believe that she then drove north along probably 78, dumped the phone outside of Mount Carroll, drove to Rockford and Winnebago where she did her shopping and then eventually where she... Um, took her life Mm -hmm. that's my theory because you've got these kind of like country routes that um, there's no major highways but it kind of allows that circle to be completed pretty much Mm -hmm. if she did dells to sterling to mount carroll dumps the phone gets to rockford Hmm. that's what i and i think she probably just tossed out of her window Hmm. yeah what do you think I know some of the new information about this case, so I'm going to pull back. Well, what new information do you know? I only know the article that I sent you that was released on his birthday. Mm -hmm. That I think it was Amy's sister. Mm -hmm. It's Kara. Yeah. Had mentioned, well, we had family in, or like there was this place that we visited in Iowa, and she had proposed that possibly she had took timothy there Mm -hmm. and that was just a revelation that she had had Mm -hmm. yeah so and all that is like we start to kind of get to that illinois iowa line out there um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so okay we've got the phone it's 2013 I want to kind of give this tidbit before I go back to what you just said about the sister in Iowa, because I want to kind of close in with those theories. Um, But there was another kind of major, major moment in this case on April 3rd, 2019. On that day, some residents of Newport, Kentucky, observe a young teenager wandering the streets across a bridge that ran over the Ohio River. He's dirty, he's bruised and battered, he's shaken up, he's scared. When the police get to him, they say that his name is Timothy Pitson. The next day, they found out that he was not, in fact, Timothy Pitson, Mm -hmm. that he was actually 23-year-old Brian Michael Rinney, who had um, 
been released from a correctional facility uh, less than a month prior to making this hoax, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a long history of mental illness, but he was actually sentenced to two years in prison for identity theft in relation to this hoax where he claimed that he was Timothy. But I mention that because it's interesting, but also because, like, the story of this case for this family is hope. Mm-hmm. There was hope in the letter. He's with somebody that cares for him. Mm-hmm. There's a sighting of a boy at this Denny's. And then, you know, time is going by, but then there's this 2019 sighting, mm-hmm. which is then a, a found to be a hoax, right? Yep. But every step of the way, there is reason for the family to have hope based on the fact that there's no sign that anything bad happened to Timothy other than the fact that he disappeared. And the blood, which may or may not be there. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, uh, like you said, it it was recently uh, what would have what would have been is just depending on, I guess, kind of where you sit on this case. Uh, Timothy's 18th birthday was a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And on his 18th birthday, his aunt Kara did uh, give a few interviews to some Chicago news outlets where According to Kara, that um, she still believes that he is out somewhere, potentially with distant family from Iowa, that um, that she still believes and feels that he is safe, right? Mm-hmm. That she had deposited him somewhere, possibly again to distant family in Iowa. Yeah. Um, they had some family in Dubuque, particularly that she thought maybe Amy took him all the way to Dubuque. Jim hasn't said anything directly about that exact theory, mm-hmm. but Jim has rejected on its face the idea of a murder-suicide. Yeah. He does not believe that to have happened. He believes that his son is alive and well and out there. And um, their hope... Is that it's kind of like a J.C. Dugard situation where mm-hmm. where he will just turn up someday, maybe a little bit worse for the wear, but alive and well. Mm-hmm. The, the, and the funky thing, I think, to my mind, is that law enforcement seems to have followed suit with the family's ideas there. Yeah, normally um, they kind of go full hard into a murder. Like, that's the way that the police will investigate it. Like, it's a murder that until did not proven happen otherwise. Here. Yeah. Yeah. That did not happen here. Partially, I think, maybe jurisdictionally, that because there's this, like, funky route and all these different places that she was, like, this PD can only do so much. But there's really no evidence that any kind of hardcore investigation has taken place here. Mm-hmm. At all. Yeah. At all. Um, from what it looks like, the authorities took that letter at face value. When it came to the blood in the car, the family says he gets nosebleeds. Okay. So that kind of takes us to theories, right? Uh-huh. Theory one, murder-suicide. That uh, Amy took Timothy on a few days of his favorite things. She bought him toys. She bought him clothes. She took him to places that he would love. Mm -hmm. And then she kills him and kills herself. Yeah. 
That seems to me to be the most straightforward theory. It seems like the most straightforward theory. And I know that everybody, I mean, the theory is, like you said, give him the best day of his life, let him eat candy and play and all of that before she kills him. And, you know, we've we've seen time and time again in cases where a parent does kill their child, where that's exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, we I even thought back to the Amanda Freud's dad story where mm-hmm. the dad kind of gave her candy, let her watch all of her favorite shows before he yeah. burned the house down with her in it. Especially when they see it as like a mercy killing, like a kind of very narcissistically processed mercy killing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think that kind of goes along with this idea that, you know, when she told Chuck, the brother on the phone, he's my son, I'll do what I want, basically. Mm-hmm. I think there there can be an interpretation of that that's, if I can't have him, no one will. Right? Mm-hmm. Was, was the FBI ever involved in this? It seems surprising that they never contacted the FBI when a child was taken across state lines. I have no evidence to show that the FBI was involved in this case. Okay. Yeah, nothing. So, which also seems kind of absurd to me, although it's not as though we're talking about, like, huge travel. We're bouncing back and forth across two state lines. But I know, um, but in a lot of cases, just automatically, if a child is kidnapped, mm -hmm. even if it's familial kidnapping, the FBI gets involved. But this case was never considered a kidnapping case. That's I the know, thing. I this know. This was never considered as such. This was never taken seriously as that at all. It fucks me up because I don't know if you guys have them down there. We have constant like missing child billboards. Last seen with so and so. Last seen in this car. Like I drive into work and I see them, and it's a lot more in your area than mine. I think there's mm-hmm. just such a higher population, but I've yeah. seen them in in Chicago for sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, this was never treated like that. That's the thing. That's the kicker to me. So that theory, I think, is the most straightforward. It's the one that tracks with her whereabouts that in that couple of days, the best in mm-hmm. my mind. Like, what other reason would there be to go to these rural areas? Mm-hmm. Other than to uh, dispose of a body, unfortunately. And I think without the case being taken seriously as such, you're not going to get a thorough ground search in enough time, right? And unfortunately, as, as awful as it is, and like I have a hard time with this case just as a mommy, like a small child's body is going to degrade pretty fast. Mm-hmm. It may not be found in time at all. Yeah. You know, um, but I think that kind of exp- that helps me to explain or to think about like why the hell goes so far out of your way. A lot of that area is farmland. There's coyotes. There's all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. So theory two would be that it was exactly what the note says. That uh, and this, I think the the circumstantial evidence for this is the fact that Amy had taken two trips out to Sterling before. Um, that this wasn't mm-hmm. her first time in Sterling. Yeah. So was she meeting with somebody? Was she scouting a family? Was she working with somebody that would take Timothy? Potentially. And that's why she was going out to Sterling those two previous trips. And then, you know, she she goes, takes him to the Dells. They drive to Sterling. She leaves him in Sterling with whoever he's going to be staying with. She drives up to Mount Carroll, tosses the phone. Mm-hmm. And then goes to Rockford. 
that I think is up until the news article that just came out with Kara saying this thing about Dubuque. That is what seemed to be the family's theory mm-hmm. to explain why Sterling. The third theory that I think is interesting, especially given that article, is that it's theory number two, but the family knows. Like the family that has Timothy knows? Or the whole family knows? That the whole family knows. I find it I find it kind of hard to believe that if Kara believes that there's possibility that Timothy is with some distant family, distant-ish family in Dubuque, Iowa, that that's like an unknown situation in the family. Like, how do you hide something like that? Right? Like, if he's with family, how is that a secret that can be kept for that long? Depending on how distant the family is, you know, second cousins. I couldn't fucking tell you about my cousins' families or second cousins or anything like that. I don't know, man. I don't. Mm. I have a hard time believing that the family knows where he is. I have a hard time believing that his dad knows where he is. I don't think Jim knows anything about where he is at all. At all. I just think it's an odd thing to say this many years later. I think it's an odd thing to say. I think it's very odd to me that it would take somebody 12, you know, 10, 10, 11 years to remember like, oh, yeah, I had family in Dubuque. I, I don't know. I wonder if she's maybe grasping at straws, those last kind of bits of hope, those last strands of like, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. You know, I think when people get desperate and when people get sentimental, they grasp at those straws. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, too. And, you know, what Kara said about that to Chicago Magazine uh, prior to this article that came out around his birthday was that her belief was that um, she did not think that Amy would want her son to live in the shadow of her suicide, pretty much. That, you know, if if Amy had just kind of gone off and and did what she did and left Timothy at home with Jim, that he would then spend the rest of his life knowing what his mom had done, right? Whereas if he was taken to a, another family or whomever, given a new identity, he would be none the wiser about what his mom he was had gone through. He would have had memories. Um, like, that's that's the part yeah, that I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, six is not two, right? But he has memories. He knows who his parents are. It would take a lot of brainwashing to make a kid forget that. I don't know. I was looking at the map, and Mount mm-hmm. Carroll, like, Sterling to Rockford is a very straight line. And Mount Carroll is so far mm-hmm. out of the way. There yeah. had to be an intention to go to Mount Carroll. Unless she, I... she also, it's, looking at her history, it's very, very likely that she was in a manic episode. Mm-hmm. So. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe, maybe the disorganized thinking that happens when you're in a manic episode explains her erratic driving pattern. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I could see. I had the same thought, and I, I believe that she was in a manic episode. I when I saw the the shape that that made from Sterling to get back to Winnebago Rockford, like yes, there is like two highways that you could take that mm-hmm. would be a straight diagonal shot basically between the two. But I could see. 
I'm in a bad space. I need to clear my head. I'm going to take this long drive. Given that that's kind of something that she does, I could see that. But, or if, I guess my other thought is um, if she's looking for somewhere rural to take him. Like she gets to Sterling for whatever reason, she's in Sterling and then she goes to Mount Carroll and that's where he is. Then she drives back to Winnebago. Is she scouting spots? I guess that's the other, so the last that's the other way to make that make sense. He was is Sterling. The last place that we know that her cell heard. phone was at was Sterling and he was heard in the background of those calls. So we can be pretty sure that Timothy made his way to Sterling. Yeah. 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 The mm-hmm. phone then makes its way to Mount Carroll. Amy makes her way to mm-hmm. Winnebago and then Rockford. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole road trip spans about 509 miles and makes kind of a big, funky, like, wonky shape where, you know, she drives a little bit east and then north and then west and then north and then all the way south west northwest back east in this loop yeah essentially so what was she doing what do you think what's your theory i mean like i said i think she was likely in the middle of a manic episode and i think that is part of it um part of me really wonders when she was driving back from the dells and she got to 88 and took a hard left towards Sterling instead of going home. Is that when she decided what she was going to mm-hmm. do? Mm-hmm. Did she have mm-hmm. the intention of driving home? And then whatever happened, she decided that she was going to either kill him or herself. I don't know. I think this is one of the few cases like this that I can say it is possible that we'll ever find him alive. I think mm-hmm. in most of these cases, like, it's really hard to to say that there's a likelihood that we'll find the person alive. This one, I don't, I genuinely don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the fact that there has been so little investigative mm-hmm. interest in this from a police perspective does make me think that there's yeah. stuff that we don't know. But what counters that is how much media this case has gotten and did get even as recently as his 18th birthday. That, you know, it was, I mean, there have been feature pieces. Uh, This Chicago Magazine article about it is beautiful. It's long. It's Mm -hmm. in-depth reporting. It's interviews with Jim, uh, interviews with Kara. Um, It is treated like a genuine disappearance in the media it does not seem to be treated as a genuine disappearance in the eyes of law enforcement that's where i have an issue and that's where i end up confused i don't know it just can i blame aurora pd and say oh like they didn't know what they were getting into no aurora is still a big town it's the second biggest city in your state it's huge And uh, I don't know. I just, I have such 
Like, I want to know what the fuck Aurora PD was doing when they took on this case. Like, where the fuck did they think that this was going? Like, oh, yeah, the mom just gave away her kid. And that seemed to be they were fine with accepting that. And if they were fine with accepting that, I wonder if they were fine with accepting that because the family was fine with accepting that. Like, if, if the family believes authentically that that's what happened and they trust Amy that far... Do police take that into account when they look into these things? The family's not worried, so maybe we shouldn't be either. Is the family not worried? Jim seemed pissed. I mean, they're worried, but they're not they're not believing it to be malicious. I don't They want him back, they want him home. Jim wants his son. He told Chicago magazine they asked him, What would you do what do you think you're going to do if if Tim's ever found, and he said, I'll just cry. I'll just sit there and cry. Like, this is a man that wants his child mm-hmm. back. So, no, it was it was bad phrasing to say the family's not worried. But if the family is not pursuing this as foul play, is there something that clicks in your head as law enforcement to say, well, then maybe we won't either? I think that's bad law enforcement. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, and that never happens. That never happens. I don't know. Like, <laughs> what? What were the early statements from Jim? Like, did he give any interviews or any conferences? I just have a hard time believing that this dad wasn't out there begging for his son to come back. And yeah, I mean, I think that's. I mean, the short answer is he was. From what I can find, he was upset. He wants his kid back. He he did call the police, like, and they said give it twenty four hours, and then they came back with the news of her suicide, and and he wants his kid back. But it seems like what law enforcement looked at more was the circumstances around Amy and her vehicle, rather than the movements that she made along the mm-hmm. way. And that's where I um, and again like. Is there plenty of information that is not available to the public? Perhaps. Perhaps there is an investigative tome out there sitting at the Aurora PD's office. Like, um, But my sense is I don't think so. I think there's this weird nebulousness around this case where, like, you get this sense of helplessness, I think, from Kara and from Jim that, that Amy did what she was going to do. She took him to another family you know she gave him to somebody else and we're upset and we want him back but she did what she did and we have to live with it that's hard for me to accept me too me too me too but this is not a story where you see um lobbying this is not one where you see a billion missing posters this is not one where you see a ton of um press conferences and things like that from the family that's not what you're seeing in this case there was a a bit of that especially i think like immediately after and then when um the hoax happened uh there was i think renewed attention at that mm-hmm. time but 
But was there the scale of attention to this that we have seen to other missing kid cases? Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, I think that's a little unfair to say because, yeah, like the big cases come to our mind, but there are literally thousands of kids go missing every year and we don't. Yeah. Like not, I don't think not every parent can be, can be that parent. That's true. And I don't think it's fair to kind of hold every parent up to that. No, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I guess I do just like I wonder about, you know, because sometimes like you wonder about why that is. And so much of the time it's about opportunity and money and, and status and things like that. And and I, I kind of wonder what it was for this family because I don't think it was money. I think it was in a way some kind of like psychological repression i guess i don't know i feel like being that kind of parent like being the one that's always on the news and everything like that it it does require opportunity and it requires money and it requires a certain type of personality and jim doesn't seem to have that personality that he Mm -hmm. wants to be left alone he wants to have a quiet life and he wants to mourn yeah and that's what he's done he moved back to iowa he works he he says that he's tried to date, but when it gets to the point of tell me about your past, that it tends to not mm-hmm. work because he gets too overcome to kind of talk about it. And and that's understandable. And that's that's kind of where it seems like he wants to, or like by necessity, kind of where he's at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that is the disappearance of Timothy Pitson. It's confusing, it's nebulous, it's frustrating. And I think any of those theories could hold equal weight or equal merit. (sighs) I'm upset. Yeah, I know. Like, this case upsets me because it doesn't feel like it was given a chance to be solved. Mhm. Yeah, I think I think there was a sense of urgency that was kind of missing like we had we found all the surveillance pretty quickly. We were able to track Amy's last movements. We know where she went, all that stuff, but I also wonder like in a town as small as Sterling, if he was sent there to live with somebody. Mhm. And and Sterling was looked at. People were questioned there. People, you know, were interviewed there. And there was no, no one had reported any sign of Timothy in Sterling as a result of that investigation. Did they interview the family in Iowa? Like, I guess that's like a big piece that I'm thinking is missing. Like, did they reach mm-hmm. out to the people in Iowa? Did they go to the towns where Amy grew up and interview a family and extended family and family friends like that does not seem like it fucking happened no i don't believe it did and i think that's a really important point to make right because if she did you know with this kind of new theory that that kara came forward with recently like if she did do that those would be the people that you'd talk to Mm -hmm. right and you'd find out but at the time of the disappearance did we know that right i don't know yeah. Uh, 
Because Kara, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm saying because you know because Kara's just now saying I remember this family in Dubuque, right? Like back then, if she was asked, "Do you have family anywhere in Iowa other than Ames and uh, the other couple of towns that they mentioned?" Like, and you said no, is at the end of it. Well, or or even say it, it doesn't even feel like they went so far as to ask that because the letter says he's with somebody that will take care of him. And he'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And he is the last known ear witness of him is on the Iowa border. It does mm-hmm. not take much police work to be like, let's go interview any people that would have taken care of him in Iowa where Amy grew up. Or yeah. even to, yeah. to do a really good psychological autopsy of this woman. Mm-hmm. Jesus fucking Christ, Aurora PD. <laughs> see and my my thing about a psychological autopsy like i feel like the more that i thought about amy's life and her struggles with mental illness her previous suicidal ideation all these things that she'd gone mm-hmm. through and then thinking about her being in the middle of a manic episode or, or also just feeling like the world is closing in mm-hmm. on her, right? Like you've got this sense of like the husband found the text messages. He's pissed she went to the Bahamas. He's, you know, saying – she's hearing him say, if if I find you talking to men again and we break up, you know I'm going to get Timothy. That's horrifying, right? So it turns from a manic episode if you're already, down into a downward exactly. spiral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're already predisposed to those kinds of spirals and you're hearing stuff like that and you're terrified beyond terror, right? I don't think it's far-fetched to say that that would drive somebody to a murder-suicide. I don't think that's far-fetched. I don't, I don't, think, it, I don't think it is either. Like, I think, like I said, it's, I can see him still being alive. I can also very much see him not being alive. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, I I want this to be something where very soon we have an amazing revelation that he really was just like tucked away somewhere mm-hmm. in this small town, safely cared for and healthy and good, and that we get that revelation soon. I mean, now he's over 18. You have to wonder, like, if he was somewhere that was in some way oppressive or harmful to him. He's an illegal adult now. He could potentially, like, get out without as much difficulty as you have as a minor. You know, he would, he, he's only, if he's out there and he's alive, he's only going to have more mobility as an adult man than he would as a child. Well, even if he wasn't right? in an abusive situation, but he was just told that he was being adopted. And now mm-hmm. maybe he has some freedom to search his own history yeah and to ask those questions yeah if anybody has any tips aurora area crime stoppers is offering a reward and they're still taking tips yeah so if you want if you have any tips any ideas or you just want to place pressure on them you can call the aurora pd at 630-892-1000 we love pressure (laughs) but you put pressure on those police people <laughs> please don't make them come to my door or stop me when i'm on my next bike ride <laughs> pressure <laughs> no you want some pressure i believe in you that want some pressure <laughs> i love it 
Okay, friends. Uh, so that's what I got on Timothy Pitson. So why don't you tell us about next week? Next week's episode, um, it has been a hot minute since we've done a Survivor story. So next oh, week we're going to do a Survivor story and we're going to talk about the kidnapping of Mary and Beth Stoffer. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, I will look forward to it. It is fascinating. Okay. Well, I'm excited then. Yeah. It'll be uplifting to hear a survivor story. Yeah. I love that. I think there's there's parts that are uplifting, but we'll be getting to go to oh, Minnesota. Oh, Minnesota. Good. We haven't been there in a while. I know. Yeah, we haven't <laughs> been there in a while. Okay. Well, that sounds lovely. So, friends, please do come back for that. In the meantime, we would love it if you would talk to us at Midwretched Everywhere. Uh, leave us kind ratings and reviews, especially if they're of the five-star variety or four stars or whatever the hell is the maximum stars people are doing these days. Uh, we would like those. So We like stars, gold stars. Yeah, stars are great. So until then, please be nice. And eat cheese. And we know that we you. love you. And call the Aurora PD. That's right. Pressure. Pressure, 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 pressure. 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 Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Bye. Feed them ice cream cones? <laughs> of course you did. You were having your little Snow White moment. <laughs>